0: 930- or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
1: Uh, good evening and welcome. Welcome to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday night. This is May the 26th, Monty, May 26th, 2016. The Virtual Bible Study is coming your way on the internet My name is Greg Quinn Um, um, again this week, sitting in uh, Jacob's normal chair, Jacob's uh, 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 visiting family tonight. And so we're filling in again for him. And my friend and brother, Monty Overton, is in my chair. Monty, thanks for being with us again tonight. Thank you, Greg. It's good to be here. And we got Dan Quillen running the board for us. Dan, Dan, uh, welcome. Uh, We haven't we have we haven't had the privilege of having you around here for a while. No, thank you, Greg. glad to be here. All right. uh, You've been working too much, and you haven't been able to be with us on the Virtual Bible Study. I'm going to have to talk to your boss about that. I'll give you his phone number. (laughs) Okay. Uh, We're glad to have all of you out there listening to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Uh, We've got a number of live listeners, Uh, uh, and of course, we always get a lot of people listening by way of archives, and uh, we're glad for that, too. Send us some feedback if you uh, are listening from somewhere new, and we've got a new listener tonight. We'll mention him in a minute. Tell us where you're listening from. Just send us an email to questions at collegeview.com uh, and let, let us know that you're out there. Um, we always are seeking feedback and uh, participation from our listeners. And so while the program is live tonight, you can communicate with us in several ways. We have a toll free number, 877 381 4567. You can call us on that number. Again, that's 877 381 4567. You can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Remember, College View is spelled funny, C O L L E G E V U E, collegeview.com. So send us uh, an email to questions at collegeview.com. Or you can get in the live chat room, and several people are in there already, and we hope we get some more. Uh, we see Arthur in the chat room. I think Arthur uh, just recently got a, com- a new computer. His old and got destroyed in a fire. And I think Arthur's out there listening on a new computer tonight. Arthur, welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study. One of our regular, regular listeners, but he hasn't been able to listen here recently because of a a fire at his house that destroyed his computer. And so uh, we've got Arthur back listening to us tonight. Um, We sent out an update today. We usually do that about 11 o'clock on Thursday morning Central Time, and we tell people what our intended topic for discussion will be and we did that uh today. If you're not getting our updates, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, just say put me on the list and we'll be glad to do that um, so that you'll get those regular updates. I'm not going to tell you what we sent out yet until I ask this question, Monty. If you if you if someone just walked up to you and said, Do you think it's going to survive? What do you think most people would think about? survival what do you think they think about
2: i don't know maybe they'd be thinking about our country and its economy or something along that or some political yeah. or worldly thing
1: yeah i think i think most people would think either is our is our country and and uh, our sovereignty our economy uh is it going to survive or they, they they the alternate to that i think would be what about the environment uh, is our environment going to survive you know we're all we're being warned and scared that Bad things are happening, you know, to uh, uh, the environment. And so I think most people probably think of those two things. Uh, but tonight we're asking the question, will it survive? And we're talking about something way more important than our country or the environment. We're talking about uh, the kingdom of God. We're talking about spiritual things. And so to our update list today, we we sent out some questions. Uh, basically, we want to know, do you think, number one, well, our question is going to be, will the church survive? And the question number one was, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing the church today? Number two, what do you think? Will the church survive? Yes or no? Why or why not? And number three, even if the universal church survives, will specific local congregations survive? And and what will be the factors that determine the outcome for local congregations of people? Those are the questions that we want to deal with tonight. Uh, again, there's a lot of talk about... Uh, whether our nation, our economy, the the environment and all that will survive. Where will it be ten years from now, twenty years from now, fifty years from now, where will our nation be and all of that? Uh uh but we should be much more concerned and I'm afraid we're not often enough concerned about spiritual things and about the kingdom of God. And and so let's start out, Monty, by talking about what some of the great challenges are that face the church again if you were to take a poll my guess is that a lot of people would say probably the toughest thing facing the church that might cause it to stop existing would be persecution Uh, but you know even though there may be some persecution in the world today we're not persecuted here but if persecution were to arise the church has endured persecution from its very beginning
2: yeah from the very beginning we read in the book of acts uh, where the church was being persecuted and the Christians were scattered, and it says they went everywhere they went preaching the gospel. So really, the persecution in the first century caused the church to grow and prosper. It didn't cause it to diminish and, and wither and, and die out. It, it grew and prospered, and so I have historically that's been the case, and I see no reason, as far as that goes, that the church would do any different today.
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. You know, uh, you you reference Acts eight there, where Stephen had just been stoned at the end of Acts chapter seven. And we often refer to Stephen as the first Christian martyr. But that wasn't the end of it. That was really just the escalation of the persecution. They'd already been persecuted. Now it's getting worse. Here's a man put to death for being a Christian. Uh, And so it says um, in Acts chapter eight, verse one, Saul was consenting into Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But verse four says, "Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word." They didn't it didn't stop them. And in fact, uh, as you said, Monty, that really accomplished the spread of the gospel. It, I, I've oft, I've heard people refer to it before. It's sort of like throwing water on a grease fire. It just mm-hmm. spreads it, and that's basically what they did to the point that Paul could say in Colossians chapter 1 verse 23 that the gospel had been preached to every creature which is under heaven so uh the gospel spread it uh, the kingdom thrived uh, it grew it prospered even though it, there were attempts to squash it to wipe it out persecution was intense people were being thrown in jail some were being put to death it didn't it didn't cause the end of the of the church it actually spread the church and uh uh, a lot of the fact that Christianity went all across the world was due to the fact that persecution was forcing them to go to different places, new places and so forth. So uh, I, uh, although people might think that hard times of persecution would be the thing that might bring an end to the church, that that's just not the case.
2: Uh, the extent of it would be that uh, they might be some if we started being persecuted, there might be some weak people, spiritually weak people who weren't well grounded in the faith that might fall away. But realistically, they weren't really part of us to begin with anyway, if you want to look at it that way. They weren't the backbone of the congregation to begin with. And so it would just basically identify those that were really dedicated Christians and those that weren't. And so it would it would clean up the church to some extent. And those that were dedicated to God are going to still faithfully serve him. They're still going to teach people about Jesus. They're still going to convert people to Christianity. And the church is just going to keep on going. Yeah. And all it's really going to wind up being is an inconvenience for us.
1: And I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. Um, We got a number of emails today. People seem to be sort of uh, intrigued by this topic, and we got more emails in than we have in recent weeks, and I want to read some of these. Uh, Here's from Keith here in Middle Tennessee. When I ask, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing the church, he says morality in the church is slowly but surely becoming an issue. People in the church are allowing more controversial things to go on, both in their own families and their personal lives. used to be you would have never heard of a Christian A Christian father allowing his daughters to go to the prom. Now, when I look at Facebook, many Christian fathers and mothers are encouraging the dance and proms and the like. Parents are allowing their sons to do and act any way they want without batting an eye at the sin they do. The worldly kids who are friends with Christian kids are encouraging our youth to sow their wild oats, so to speak. You only live once, so you might as well live it up today. And if it bothers you, repent some other day. When you look at the way kids in church dress, it makes me feel ashamed. I realize times change, but the scripture doesn't. When you take someone aside and ask them why they allow this, instead of repenting and changing, they give you a look and accuse you of being judgmental. Sin is sin. We must uh, study to show ourselves approved, not let things slide. And tomorrow we repent. So Keith is uh, is convinced that the uh, decaying morality among Christians is a problem. I would agree with him. I I. I the The morality is just a sign of the fact that the world is influencing us tremendously. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem. in fact, if if we go back to first century times, it, we, we said persecution wasn't the problem. The problems came up internally uh, uh, in Acts chapter twenty, when Paul was speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, he said, verse 29, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock and of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And so I think our real threat is an, an internal threat. Uh, the, the world is, has not succeeded in killing the church, but we might we, we could we could really I don't think we'll kill a church. We'll talk about that in a minute, but w- we could really harm it by allowing the world to influence us and compromising our values.
2: You know, the problem, that when I, as you was reading that email that I thought about, it talked about Christian fathers allowing their daughters to go to the prom. And Christian fathers, well, I might make an argument that those men that were allowing these things to take place in their families, they weren't Christians. Uh, when we understand what a Chris, Christian is, the Bible tells us the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. All right, then we see what is a disciple. Well, a disciple is somebody that follows a certain teacher or belief pattern and patterns their life after that. Well, if a person is a disciple of Christ, they're not going to allow their children to go to the prom. They would have, that should have already been established, and they'd have been teaching their children, and their children wouldn't have asked because they'd have known dad's a Christian, and he's not going to allow that. And he should have taught them as a Christian. He would have taught his children to do better, and that wouldn't have been something that they would have come up that had to really be argued about but but so I would make the argument that very good chance that these persons that are allowing their children to do these things they're not disciples of Christ. They're not followers of Christ. Or at least they may have been baptized, but that doesn't mean that yeah, they're followers.
1: At least they're not faithfully following the Lord. They're not, the not Lord. faithful. They're not faithfully following the Lord. I think you're right about that. Uh, Jim in Kentucky says, biggest challenges facing the church question got, mark? He's got three things he mentions. Number one, soft preaching, trying to avoid preaching on hot button issues, watering down the gospel. Number two, not wanting to spread the gospel for fear of angering people, therefore being intimidated to be silent. Number three, a desire to be like all the nations around us. And he references 1 Kings 8, verse 5, when the Israelites wanted a king uh, and wanted to be like the nations around them. He says our desire to be like all the nations around us by melting into the dismal pot of denominationalism so that we can fit in and not stand out and thus not be picked on. If the church will be what it's supposed to be and teach the gospel in its full strength, then we have no fear of what may happen. I think it's a good time for brethren to study Revelation again. And again, in the book of Revelation, we read uh, messages to the church under persecution. But the persecution wasn't the real threat. Their own problems of immorality and weakness were the problems. Here's an email from Travis. Travis. He says he's a first-time emailer from San Bernardino, California. Travis, welcome to the virtual Bible study. He says he worships uh, with the church in Ontario, California. Says he loves the program. He says I think the biggest challenge facing the church today are the exact same ones we've heard, uh, s- same ones we've had since the first century. They just take on different forms. World pressure to be progressive and accept homosexual and transgender lifestyles may be the hot topic today but in the end it's just a matter of people listening to their own desires same as they always have he references first timothy four verse three the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickle- tickled they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires uh so yes he's, he's he agrees that it's it's a problem internal problem uh Kent in Georgia says a lack of respect for New Testament authority. He sees that as the biggest threat. I would kind of agree with Kent on that. I think that it's probably a two-pronged problem. One of them is the worldliness and immorality that's creeping into the church. The other is this issue of Bible authority, Monty, where people just don't want to do what the Bible says. They want to do it their way. They don't want to follow the biblical pattern.
2: You know, if we was willing to concede to the authority in the new testament that jesus has put down and follow the principles as stated then the world wouldn't be creeping in because we'd be teaching against these things but as it is we really don't want to go along with that and it's just like the israelites wanted a king so they could be like the nations round about we really don't want to stand out and be a peculiar people we want to just sort of blend in and be incognito and not be particularly noticed one way or the other and so then we so to do that we have to kind of go along with the things of the world and become worldly people And so that's what our problem is. You know, Jesus said he was going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. There's nothing the devil can do of his self to destroy Jesus' church. But we can damage it. Those of us that are supposed to be part of the church, we're the ones that does the damage to it, not the devil. I agree. Uh,
1: So I I think I I would heartily agree with Kent's uh, estimation that a failure to respect Bible authority is a great underlying problem for the church as well. Jeff in his email, what's the big problem facing the church? He has one word: humans. <laughs> yeah, that's people. That's, that's, people, fallible people. That's our problem. Uh, Chris, our friend Chris in Atlanta, says, "I feel the biggest challenge for the church, especially in America, is complacency and a lack of respect for God's commandments. We've become too comfortable. We would rather watch TV, attend movies, and other form of entertainment rather than obeying Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, when Jesus instructs us to go and spread the gospel." We would rather sit at home on Facebook to gossip and and feast on negativity instead of heeding the warning found in Matthew 25, Romans 12, and other verses about the need for ministering to one another. We neglect studying God's word. I guess instead of saying we are complacent, maybe it would be better stated by saying the church has a problem with members keeping busy with the things of the world instead of the things of God. That was well said, Chris. And again, I agree that it seems like we've got a big problem of worldliness. And then uh, we got KB in Mississippi. KB hasn't written in a while. Uh, glad to have you back out there, uh, KB, on the virtual Bible study. He says, one of the biggest challenges in the church in this area is the leadership of the church. In this area, we have preachers that are making all the decisions, trying to be the boss of the church instead of preaching the gospel. Although, although there are a lack of qualified elders, some preachers don't want elders. Instead, they're choosing brothers in the church. I think you need a brother to handle business, although they are not qualified to be elders. They want, they, want, uh, they, they want brothers in the church that will say yes to whatever the preacher says and will not hold him accountable for his duties. Uh, uh, he says, I, I witness a Church of Christ preacher play music on his phone by placing his phone on the microphone. Uh, this was between Sunday school and AM worship. To me, it was a total distraction. and Many members were not happy. According to others, that was his first time doing this, and many members were astonished. I personally questioned him after service, asking what authority did he have to do so. In his reply, I just felt like doing it. He also said that I was not in a position to question him because I didn't have the membership in that congregation. The members seemed to be afraid to say something. I didn't want any. I didn't get any support from them i asked him not to do it because it was causing distraction before worship service uh and the leading brother of the congregation did absolutely nothing uh so kb he's talking about a specific instance there that he witnessed but i think what he's saying and if you were to generalize his his uh concern is bible authority yeah and that's what we already talked about so again the the first question we ask is what what's the great challenge uh that, that the church faces uh I think there are a number of significant challenges, but they all seem to be from within uh it's 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 us we're not strong we're not we're letting worldliness affect us We're, we're letting immorality uh come into the church well, we're trying to be like the world around us. Uh, we're trying to water down the gospel. We're trying to lose our distinctive edge. We we we, we, we want to be like everybody else. We, uh, and 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 that being the case, we're not committed to following Bible authority for all we do, say, and preach. Those are the things that are the big problems. Persecution? Yeah, it, it, there 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 always has been persecution. Sometimes it's been very severe against Christians. There are places in the world today, Monty, where persecution is really bad. Not here. We've we've never lived under a time of persecution. We can be grateful for that. But I wonder how we would hold up if it came. But the fact of the matter is persecution has never succeeded in squashing the church. And it won't in the future either. But we can do tremendous harm to the church by allowing the world to affect us in the ways that we've just described.
2: You know, if, if we're persecuted and we stand up under it and bear up to it, it's just going to make us stronger. Like I said, it'll identify the weak members, and if persecution comes, they'll go away. And that's sad, but that's just the way it is. But those of us that remain will be stronger for it, and that was what happened in the first century and historically ever since then. That's what's happened, and there's no reason to believe it would be any different now. All
1: right. uh, In the chat room, real quick, we've got to go to a break, but real quick in the chat room, Uh, Not just being a faithful follower, but being subject to authority. I believe this is the problem with our society today. Parents of the world and some of the church do not teach their children to be subject to authority. Uh, Guest 508 makes that comment. Uh, Guest Mo in the chat room says amen to that, and I would too. I think that's exactly right. We're going to grab a a quick break, and when we come back, Let's look to the Bible because I believe the Bible answers this question. Will the church survive? We'll look to the Bible for that answer when we come back from this break. Stay with us on the virtual Bible study.
0: Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Here's some quotes worth pondering What
1: will you be wishing you had done when the Lord returns? It doesn't make sense to regulate your actions by any other standard than that by which you will be judged, the Word of God. To hope for salvation without obedience is to hope that God will be a liar. Man, wish I'd said that.
0: I'm Kate. I'm for This is the Virtual Bible Study. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program.
1: And we're back on the Virtual Bible Study doing a little... Uh, housekeeping area on the break. We didn't get back in time. Uh, we're talking about the question: Will the church survive? I really think it's an important question to consider because it it forces us to deal with the issues that harm us, that hurt us. But in response to the question itself, will will the church survive? I think we can give an absolute definitive yes answer to that, Monty. In fact, it's not even a point of question. The answer is absolute. The church will survive.
2: The church will survive. There may be individual congregations that don't. I believe as we study, look through the book of Revelation to the letters to the seven churches of Asia, I believe if we went over there right now, there's not any of those congregations still there. So for whatever reasons, those congregations didn't survive but the church has survived and prospered.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. That actually, the history of the church is a history of survival. As you said, some of those specific congregations, in fact, as far as I know, all of the specific congregations that are mentioned in the New Testament probably have gone into non-existence. But the church itself has continued to exist, and so history bears out that the church survives. Uh, you know, when the New Testament ended. We were we read about the fact that persecution was pretty intense through the through the man-made history of uh, that has followed obviously our inspired history ends uh, at, uh, sometime there toward the end of the first century the inspired history of the church ends but we have secular history of the church and there are really intriguing accounts talking about Intense persecutions against people who called themselves Christians. And it, and it continues right up to today. There are places in the world uh, that, that people are horribly persecuted for naming the name of Christ, but they continue on. So history, just history itself tells us the church will survive uh, because there have always been committed people who were determined to just speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent Money.
2: You know that's that's what we're supposed to do that's the pattern we read about in the New Testament, and that's what's going to carry on
1: yeah I think that's exactly right um, not not only do we ha I mean we were talking about dedicated people in history who have made the church survive but uh there are a lot of dedicated people even today money maybe we don't give enough credit to the good faithful devoted Christians that are in the church today. You know, we, we were talking earlier inside of sort of casting off on the fact that there's so many weak Christians and worldly Christians and letting immorality and uh, come into the church failing to follow Bible authority for their practices in the church. But the other side of that coin is there are a lot of good and faithful folks today who are the kind who just like their historical brothers and sisters, they're the kind today who are going to see to it that the church continues.
2: You know, we see, in, if we read through the New Testament in the first century, uh, Paul in his letters, uh, the letters to the Corinthians, he wrote letters to them. They had all sorts of troubles there because there were weak people there that were letting this immorality and things into the church. But there were also strong people there, and he wrote to them also. And so that's not any different. There's In every congregation that we go to, there's going to be some street people there. They're what we would call the backbone of the congregation. They're strong and they're dedicated and doing what they can. And there's other people that are—they may be there every service, but that's really all you can say for it—is they're there every service. And we're glad they're there because hopefully someday they'll grow into being a strong Christian. But nevertheless, it's that way—it was that way in the first century. It's been that way ever since, and it's that way now. But but—and we don't need to let this, the weaker ones drag us down. So oh no, there's weak people here. What are we going to do? We just need to go ahead and preach the gospel and teach as many people as we can. That's that's our job, and God will take care of the rest of
1: it. I, I think you're exactly right. And so we can be grateful for and, and have confidence in the good people who are in the church today who are determined to do the right thing. And and we know many of them, and they're a great encouragement to us, and we should be grateful that there are such people, not just that there have been in historical times past. But, but there are now. There are now, exactly right. Let me give you another argument, Monty. Why we know that the church will survive, and it's what I would call the seed principle. You know, every once in a while we hear about uh, situations where they find seeds that are maybe centuries old. You know, they've been laid up somewhere. You know, here's a, here's a grain of corn from 150 years ago, or or here's some wheat maybe for that's five or six hundred years old, and you plant that seed in the ground and it grows we, when you plant the seed it produces it after its kind that's a that's a godly principle god put that r- law of biogenesis into effect way back in the in the beginning mm-hmm. genesis chapter 1 verses 11 12 uh, things produce after their own kind and so spiritually the seed is the word of god luke chapter 8 verse 11 1 peter chapter 1 verse 23 the word of god is the seed and as long as that seed exists, if you plant it, it's going to produce the same thing it's always produced, true Christians, and those Christians will constitute the church, and the church will survive. In fact, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, kind of an interesting statement there is made about this seed, which is the word of God, 1 Peter 1, 23, born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so the word's going to abide forever. Therefore, the seed is always going to be there. And every time you plant the seed, it's going to produce the same thing it always has.
2: You know, if theoretically you could kill every Christian in the world, in the world all at once, just, you know, next minute we're all gone. But the word of God's going to live. And there's going to be somebody's going to find it and read it and understand it and obey it. And then they're going to start teaching other people. So the the seed was still there. The word was still there. Nothing has really changed. And when you get down to it, it's all that's changed is the people that's members of the church that time. But the people, that's already, always been changing because the people in the first century aren't alive now. The ones that are Christians now are an entirely different set of people uh, most of the people that was alive and Christians 55 years ago when I was born, a great many of them have passed on, but there's new people that's come up to take their place. So the people are constantly going to be changing, but the word is still there, and it's the same, and it doesn't change. So when we plant that seed, God's going to give the increase, and there's going to be Christians result from it.
1: Yeah, you know, In the chat room, Rick <laughs> mentions this. very. He says, as long as we have the incurvable seed and good and honest hearts in the world, the church will exist. This means we have grave responsibility to sow the seed. I think that's exactly right. Uh, backing up just a little bit, he says, I think the greatest problem the church faces, every issue boils down to authority and respect for it. This is of utmost importance, as has already been stated. I agree with you, Rick. But he, he mentions that seed principle uh, as one of the reasons why we know the church will survive. So we got history. We've got a lot of good, dedicated people today. So the history is the church survives. We've got good, dedicated people today who are going to see to it that the church survives. We've got the seed principle, as long as the seed's there. And God said the word's going to abide forever, so the seed's always going to exist. Going to be here. So as long as we got the seed, we're going to keep producing faithful New Testament Christians by it. Another argument is that we have a, a, an absolute promise from God. Um, you know... Well, we, we get promises from people and people can break their promises but God doesn't break his promise uh, and he has promised us that this kingdom cannot be moved. Notice Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Um, the the phrase which cannot be moved according to Thayer it's it means unshakable not liable to disorder or overthrow firm or stable so th- that's the idea of this kingdom which cannot be moved uh, it, it, it's a, a everlasting kingdom there's an there's an interesting uh, prophecy of Daniel you may have it there do you have Daniel chapter 2 uh, get it quick. verse 44 I, I wait a minute, I'm right there uh, in Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 you remember Daniel was in, was tra- interpreting the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and it talked that that image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream uh, with had the, the, the body parts of that mm-hmm. image were of different kinds uh, but when he got down to the feet uh, which, which by interpretation, represented the times of the Roman Empire. In verse 44, Daniel says, "In the days of these kings, now you have to read the context to understand he's talking about the days of those that that fourth great world kingdom, the the, the Roman Empire. In the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom? Notice which shall never be destroyed." And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Well, that's a promise of God. And and when we have those kind of firm promises, it shall never be destroyed. It shall stand forever. we got to take that for what it says. That That's that's the truth of God right there.
2: You know, and we could know, historically speaking, that God has kept every promise he's ever made us. And the, there's nothing man can do. That can destroy the kingdom of God because God said He's going to keep it, and preserve it, and it will not be destroyed. It will stand forever. There's nothing the devil could do to stop it, or he would have already. And so, God's in control. He's all powerful. He's in charge, and His kingdom will stand. He's demonstrated by keeping every ever the promise He's ever made, and there's no reason to expect that He can't keep this one too.
1: Exactly right. exactly right. We got a couple more things to mention along that line. We want to get back to our emails. We'd be glad to get your email or, or a comment from you in the chat room. Will the church survive? We've already answered the question. I, I really don't think that's, uh, that's an issue at all. The answer to the question is yes, the church will survive. But give us your reasons why you think the church will survive. We've got several emails here to look at. We want to hear from you. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. You can call us at 877-381-4567. Or you can get in the chat room and put your comments in there. We're going to be right back after this break. Stay with us on the Virgil Bible Study.
0: Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this.
1: My name is Jim Meisner. I worship at the Church of Christ in Deckerville, Michigan. Be sure to listen to the Virtual Bible Study and watch it. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. First off, let us acknowledge that we have important essential duties to one another as fellow Christians. We are to help, encourage, edify, strengthen, support, and care for one another. This includes both physical necessities and spiritual imperatives, No one denies these realities. However, it seems that some Christians are looking to be on the receiving end of these services, but apparently feel little need to give back to their brothers and sisters in Christ. They are quick to criticize if they think they have been neglected, but they do little to reach out to others. It appears that some even have a sort of chip on their shoulder, which can be easily knocked off if some constant stroking and petting is not directed their way. And the fact that they've been helped numerous times in the past is not enough. If recent attention has not been paid to them, then they will let their displeasure be known. To these folks, we would say, first, we can always do better, and we'll keep trying to grow in the important areas of brotherly love. We feel a true burden to help you, and we want to fulfill it faithfully. But secondly, please be grateful for the help and love that your brethren have shown you in the past. Gratitude is commanded, Colossians 3.15, and ingratitude is a sin, 2 Timothy three two. Finally, Look for your opportunities to serve others. Every Christian, regardless of their specific circumstances, can and must serve their brethren. No one can remain exclusively on the receiving end of this relationship. Jesus himself said, quote, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we cherish our special bond within the family of God. Let us all do our part to make it as good as it can be. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
0: Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study.
1: And we're back on the virtual Bible study. Thanks for being out there tonight. As we study together from the Word of God, we want to remind you that the virtual Bible study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're anywhere near us in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you visit with us. We meet at 1618 Hampshire Pike on the west side of Columbia, Tennessee, we're right across, you know, I don't know if we've ever explained this or not. I think we have. But we're right across from Columbia State Community College. It's the largest community college, in fact, in the state of Tennessee. And we're right across the highway from it. And that is, therefore, why we are college view. And that uh, kind of clever. We're in view of the college. We're in view of the college. Uh But if you get in our area... There's signs that direct to uh, Columbia State Community College all over the place. And so if you follow the signs, you'll find us as well. But we also have information on our website. Tell us about the times of our services. There's a, there's a, a map there that will get you right to our location. And also you can communicate with us. We'd be glad to hear from you. Uh, send us an email to questions at com, or call us anytime. We're always open to your questions. In fact, we seek your feedback. And uh, if you have some topic that you think would be good for discussion on the virtual Bible study, let us know, uh, and, and we always try to get to those uh, as best we can. All right, we're talking about will the church survive, and we know the answer is yes. There's no question about that. The church is going to survive. We've talked about some of the reasons why. And I, I want to add one more, and then I want to get to our emails. Um, There's an. Inter- I think you can make an argument this way, Monty, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Beginning verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this I say to you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul's clear indication there is that there will be living Christians when the Lord returns. Now, obviously, he didn't know when that would be, but he he... Definitely by inspiration implied that there will be living Christians when the Lord returns. Uh, therefore, that's just has to be so. It, it can't be otherwise.
2: We, so therefore, we know that however long God lets the world stand, there will be faithful Christians here. The church will survive to that point. And then the church will be in heaven with God and survive forevermore after that. So exactly. we know that there's always going to be the church.
1: Yeah. Alright, let's get, let's, let's look at some of these emails that we got in. Uh, Keith, uh, says the church will survive. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Was Jesus wrong? I don't think so. Men and women will fail, but we should not, uh, and, and we should not encourage sinful behavior, but the church will survive. Uh, Jim in Kentucky says, Yes, it has, it always has, always will because God has a plan and He continues day and night to be executing that plan. In the times when it seems the darkest, the church can flourish. There's no power on earth that can stand against God. Our God saved one man and his family on an ark when the whole world was destroyed by water. He used a servant class of people to defeat a mighty empire in Egypt. He called another servant to lead these people to the land of Canaan and showed them how by simply marching around the city walls of Jericho they could defeat that city. He used a judge named Gideon and 300 hand-picked men to defeat the Midianites and the Amalekites. He used a shepherd boy with only a rock and a sling to defeat a giant. He caused the sun to stand still. He caused one prophet to stand against and defeat 450 false prophets. He allowed Jesus Christ, his son, to die upon the cross and then resurrected him. There is nothing our God cannot do. Well said, Jim. I think that's exactly right. Uh, and He got th- this God who has done all of those things uh, has promised us that he's not going to let the church be destroyed.
2: He said it, so it's a guaranteed deal.
1: I think that's exactly right. I mean, we, we've got to have that confidence. We've got to have that faith. Uh, that's a comforting thing. That's a comforting thing. But it also, I think, is sort of a... Uh, an awesome thing when you think about the fact that we are players in that—that that mm-hmm. we we have a role—that God is expecting us to do our part to fulfill that outcome.
2: Yeah, He He's given us responsibilities to do it, but even as uh oh, um, who are you thinking of? He was a queen in the Old Testament, Esther. Esther. Yeah. Even as her uncle told her, if you don't do your job, God will raise somebody else up to do it, yeah. and so. If we don't do our job, God's still going to get it done and the church still going to survive. It's just going to spell bad news for us. But we've still got a job to do, so let's let's do it. And it should, in our mind, make it easier to do the job, knowing that the God of heaven, the all-powerful God of heaven that can keep his promises and will do what he said, is behind us to help us.
1: I think you're exactly right. Uh, Travis in San Bernardino, California, says... The church will survive until the end of time. Numbers might fluctuate here and there, but the church itself will endure. After all, it is what Christ promised, and He also references Matthew sixteen eighteen. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So I, I agree with you, Travis. Absolutely. Uh, Kent in Georgia says yes, the church will survive. The reason for such is Daniel two forty four. We read Daniel two forty four, where Daniel was tr- interpreting the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And he said plainly that when the Lord establishes his kingdom, uh, it's it will never be destroyed. It shall stand forever. Daniel, chapter two, verse 44. I agree with you. Can't I think you're exactly right on that. Uh, Jeff says, um, I'm not exactly sure of this. Only on the judgment day. uh our, our question is uh Will the church survive, yes or no? And he says, only on the judgment day. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. So I think it's going to endure to the judgment day. Uh, but as you said, money. Jesus
2: said he's going to deliver the church to the Father. Yeah. So the church, we will st- if we're faithful to our death, we'll still be there. It'll still be the called out, just the same as it always has been. So that's not going to change. It'll just be where we're at has changed.
1: I think so. And then, um uh, Chris in Atlanta, just one word absolutely. the church will survive, and so I think that's a uh a, a, a thing we all agree about you know sometimes when we discuss various sub, subjects, we come across things that well, we don't necessarily agree on that, but there i just don't think there can be any question about this. The church is going to survive a while back, we interviewed a fella um, on the virtual Bible study in England uh. Keith Sissom, I think, was his name, who had written a book wherein he had investigated the existence of the church uh, in the British Isles going way, way back in history. And, ba- and, and he wrote a book, Traces of the Kingdom, that's still available. Very, inter- This guy was a very interesting guy. done a lot of very valuable research into the history of that. And his conclusion was basically you can find true New Testament Christians as far back as you can go in history. Yeah, you know, obviously the, the history gets harder and harder to dig up the farther back you go. But the fact of the matter is he says you find you can find faithful Christians everywhere where you find a history of people. Yeah. Uh, you know, that question comes up. So the church was being persecuted at the end of the first century. Was there was it did it did the church just sort of die out and then get restarted again, uh, when some people uh in, in in America, we refer to it as the restoration movement. You know, an effort to restore New Testament Christianity. Did the church die out and then get started over again in the course of the restoration period? I think the answer to that's no, because God said His kingdom would never be destroyed; it would stand forever. So it didn't go out of existence and then get started again. I really believe that all through that history, although history doesn't effectively record all of that. I think all through history there were faithful people doing just what the Bible says, being Christians just like you read about in your New Testament.
2: Well, I, I agree that I, I don't have any reason to doubt that because, like I said, that guy and his, his research had shown that as far back as you could find any type of recordable history since the first century, you could basically find faithful references to faithful churches. But even if it had have died out, so to speak, for a time, the word was still there, the seed was still there, the incorruptible seed. People found it, they studied it, they believed it and obeyed it, and so it has kept going.
1: You know, really, if you think about it, history wouldn't probably record the existence of those kinds of faithful Christians who were in small local bodies of believers. They were just trying to do the right thing. They weren't out there trying to make a big name for themselves. From a
2: worldly standpoint, there wasn't any reason for history to record them because they were just sort of, Below the scenes kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, they they were just they doing were. their thing, their humble way.
1: I think you're right. They were they would have been, as we sometimes say, under the radar. They, yeah. they wouldn't have been making a splash on the pages of history, but they were there. Mm-hmm. I, I think we have to have that confidence in the promise of God that they were there and they were doing their thing and faithfully serving God all through that time. And we just have to believe that. I think so. We're going to grab one more break, and when we get back, we'll go to the top of the hour. We're going to change gears just a little bit. And the, the final question is, uh, even if the, church, the universal church survives, will specific local congregations survive? And what are the factors that determine the outcome for local congregations? So really, all, all of our discussion so far has been the universal church. Is it going to survive? Yes, it's going to survive. Absolutely. No doubt about. It. But as you pointed out earlier, Monty, those congregations we read about in the first century, when we read about. Even good churches like Philippi uh, uh, or the church at Ephesus or, or we read about the church at Corinth, although it had lots of trouble. Uh, uh, you go to those places now and, and those congregations probably have all died out. I, I, I've, I've talked to people who've traveled in modern day Turkey, uh, which is called Asia in, uh, in the New Testament. And there were the seven churches of mm-hmm. Asia to which the Lord made made a specific messages in the first chapters of Revelation. And those all, those churches all died out, even the good ones. So congregations come and go. What about this church? What about this congregation? Or for our listeners, what about the congregation that you're a member of? Is that congregation going to continue on? What would be some of the factors that might influence the outcome for a local congregation? We're going to talk about that quickly when we come back from this break. Stay with us on the Virtual Bible Study.
0: These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. We're
1: tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. A new study shows that one in four Americans volunteered through an organization and two-thirds helped their neighbors last year. The report found that 62.6 million adults... That's over 25% volunteered. Altogether, Americans volunteered nearly 7.7 billion hours. The estimated value of this volunteer service is nearly $173 billion. That information is via the Corporation for National and Community Service. Jesus said in Matthew 22, beginning verse 37... Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm Dan Quillen, a member of the College Church of Christ, with some thoughts about making plans. Have you made any definite plans for your spiritual life and for your service for God? We spend time prioritizing personal lives and setting goals in our careers. But do we think in those terms about the most important thing, our soul? Ask yourself these questions. What am I planning to do for God today? In the coming week, what good thoughts will I accomplish for him? At this time next year, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? In five years from now, how will I have changed, improved, and grown in my work for God? Ten years from today, how will my family be? How will I have helped them grow spiritually? Twenty years down the road, how will I be doing? As I approach death, what will have been the most important things in my life? Where will I be in eternity?
0: And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians three seventeen. Now, back to the program.
1: And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're going to the top of the hour. We're talking about the question, will the church survive? We've talked about the universal church. There's just no question about the fact that the universal church will continue to exist and thrive and survive because God promised it, basically. Uh, and we've been talking about that. What about local congregations, though, Monique? Local congregations have been, and not just, we talked about, you know, those congregations that we read about in the New Testament seem to have gone out of existence. But in our lifetime, we've known of congregations that just ceased to exist, mm-hmm. that went out of business, so to speak. They closed their doors. Uh, uh, th- there are some that we know of even now that are on the verge of doing that. You know, the congregations just dwindle and die out. What kind of things affect that? What, what would be some of the things that we need to do to safeguard this local congregation or as our listeners listening, the congregation where you are? What are some of the things that we need to do to, to make sure we continue to exist as a local congregation of God's people? And I would argue that the first one of those things has to be just no compromise when it comes to God's truth.
2: Well, when you get down to it, if we start doing something other than what we can read about in the New Testament, we start failing to follow that pattern. If we do what the Bible says the way the Bible says do it, we'll be what those people were, and that's Christians. But if we're doing something else, then we are something else. We've ceased to be Christians. If, As a church, we cease to stand firm on God's truth and we start compromising and giving in, then we've become something beside the church that Christ built. We're something else. So, in effect, we have died, died out. There may be still a lot of people here in the building showing up for every service, but if we're not doing the Bible's... The, doing God's thing God's way then we're not God's church and so we will have died out we will have ceased to exist
1: I think you're exactly right <clears throat> we need to do what Jude said everybody's familiar I think with Jude 3 when he said "Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints earnestly contend for the faith that's sort of the marching orders of the church we've got to keep doing that if we stop doing that then, as you said, money, we're doomed. Paul said in Philippians chapter one, verse 17, I am set for the defense of the gospel. That needs to be our attitude. So no compromise. Number one, number two, money, I would argue we've got to be on guard against apathy and indifference. You know, uh, we got to really care. About the well-being of the church, we got we got to care about this local congregation. And I I I sense that a lot of Christians don't give much thought to that. They're just going along, uh, not really paying attention to the welfare of the local congregation. They just seem sort of apathetic about it. It, it doesn't matter to them. We need a sense of deep loyalty to our local congregation to, uh, and to the work that we're trying to accomplish for the Lord. And, and we, we got to be. Urging people to be very involved, not apathetic about what's going on in the local congregation.
2: You know, not only should that loyalty be to the to the congregation here, but it should be that first loyalty is to God. And if we're loyal to God, then we're going to be loyal to His church and doing what we can to to uplift it and support it. But the problem I think really boils down to we're not ultimately we're not loyal to God like we ought to be. And just as the passage you read a minute ago in Jude talked about earnestly contending. Uh, there's a lot of people, they, they're here for every worship, my, every service, but they're not really earnest. They're not on fire for the gospel. You know, I'm going to be here because that's what I'm supposed to do. But they're not here because I'm excited about being here, because I want to be here. I, they're not here because they love being with God's people and being uplifted and edified. They're just here because that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And so I, I think we can see that difference in their attitude. And if we've got that apathetic attitude, eventually that is infectious just like a positive attitude is oh, exactly infectious right, exactly you know right. and that that kind of thing will pull the rest of us down if we're not careful and next thing you know then worldliness is crept in and we're not standing on the truth anymore and we've ceased to become a congregation of god's people
1: i think you're right the, the 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 good churches in the first century the ones that were really getting the job done were enthusiastic about their work about the spreading of the gospel uh they were zealous they were evangelistic uh and and they, and they were working hard to to restore their own you know, to to uphold and restore uh when needed their own members and and we got to have that we got to guard against apathy and endeavors uh, We need good faithful dedicated leaders you know and this is a problem this I think this is a big problem in local congregations is a is a lack of effective leadership. How many churches do we know money even right here in our uh, middle Tennessee area don't have elders? N- and many churches never have had elders, you know, it's
2: a whole lot uh, easier to keep up with the number of the ones that does have elders than the ones that don't I do. And,
1: and, and I think we really got to work on developing qualified leadership in local congregation. That's very important. And then we I would add a fourth point. We need to have sincere, fervent love for one another. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning verse 9. And Thessalonica was a good church, by the way, in the first century. And he said to them, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9, As touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, but for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. We're never done in regards to maintaining and developing these loving brotherly relationships Jesus said in John thirteen verse thirty five, "By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another." It's a it's a it's a sure sign of our discipleship.
2: You know, if we love each other like we ought to, when we see one another getting weak or, or stumbling, then we're going to do something to help them. We're going to go out of our way to it. We're going to do whatever it takes to help them and, and be strong again and build them back up. But if we don't love one another like we ought to, we we'll might have this attitude. Well. It's their life. They can go away if they want to. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, how do I know there's nothing I can do about it I haven't tried? Yeah. And so, but if I love them, then I'm going to care about them, and I'm going to try my best to do whatever I can find to do to help them, and I'm not going to wait for something to just fall in my lap. I'm going to be actively looking for areas and ways that we can help each other, and that's just the way it is if we love each other. But if we don't love each other, then we have that apathetic attitude we was talking about, then, well... They've fallen away. I hate it for them. I wish it was otherwise, you know, but they're not doing anything to stop it.
1: I think you're right. Uh, let's go to our emails. Keith says I believe local congregations will survive, but numbers will dwindle and most will have to go underground. It's almost like being in Rome during the time of Paul. The government will make it illegal to preach and teach in open or anywhere else. We're not there yet, Keith, but uh, I, I'm telling you, I. I would not be at all surprised to see the day come when we begin to be the government tries to restrict what we do uh, and what we can say and teach. I think that they may not be very far off. We, But as we said, the church always continued to exist throughout persecution and even spread in the face of persecution. We got to be prepared for that. We got to imitate those first Christians who would not give up no matter what.
2: You know, I think it's interesting. That even when Paul was in Rome under arrest for having pre- preached the gospel, that it ta- the scriptures talk about and he talked about he had converted people in Caesar's household. Yeah. Uh, he, basically, in effect, he got an all expense paid free trip to go to Rome to preach to Caesar <laughs> when you get down to it. Yeah. And so, I, you know, just the fact that if he wasn't supposed to be talking about God anymore, about Jesus anymore, that didn't stop him. He did what he was supposed to do. So if should we get arrested? for being Christians and and being vocal about the Word, we can do like Paul did. That just gives us an all-expense-paid trip to go preach to a different audience.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Uh, Jim in Kentucky says, "Will Will specific churches survive? Yes, though some may dwindle in certain areas. In England, when persecution arose in the Middle Ages, congregations in the country were able to survive better than those in the cities. In the early days of the church, members met in secret, so the church continued, but not with as much of a public persona. The same will happen in our time. There will always be souls who will see evil for what it is and the gospel as the remedy. There may be an ebb and flow with respect to the church being popular or unpopular, but again, God's providence continues to unfold every day. The God who resurrected Jesus Christ can certainly stand against and be vicious against 21st century modernism, humanism, pluralism, and any other ism that rears its head. I think you're right, Jim. Thank you for that. Uh Travis in California says, I think without a doubt, local congregations will survive, but that doesn't mean they'll always have the same appearance. There may be a time in the future when Christians gather in homes primarily or in secret places, much like they did during the persecution of Rome. The church building might disappear, but as long as there are groups of people together, it will be a congregation. He references Matthew 18, verse 20, uh, where two or three gather together. In my name there. I am in their midst. Um, uh, all right, uh, so uh, Travis says, yeah, he thinks so. Uh, Kent says, it's sad but true that many local churches have not survived and will not survive the present-day apostasy. The factors that will determine the outcome to the situation that we face will be determined by how both individual Christians and local churches react to the authority of the Scriptures. The only thing that will keep brethren both collectively and individually from going into apostasy is by a clear and precise presentation in defense of the Word of God. Amen to that, Kent. I think you're exactly right. Uh, Jeff says, uh, congregations come and go, only the Lord knows which ones will be around on the judgment day. He, he had mentioned the judgment day. He said in the chat room that he mm-hmm. kind of combined two answers there. Uh, yeah, it, it the, the congregations are going to come and go, and the Lord knows, and, and, and in the judgment, it'll all get washed out. And then finally, uh, how much time? Oh, we're just almost out of time. Finally, Chris in Atlanta says, uh, there will be many congregations that will fail for various reasons, some of which are complacency, allowing scriptural, unscriptural practices to, to seep in. It starts with a small change, such as being uh, using praise teams. And he gives an example of a church doing that, I guess. And I'll have to look that up. Before long, small changes lead to slightly bigger changes, which lead to even bigger changes, allowing discord among brethren to fester until a split occurs. So he, uh, he's mentioning three things there. Complacency. Uh, Basically, a failure to follow Bible authority and discord among brethren. He says the factors that determine the outcome are the congregation's level of commitment to the word, seeking authority, how much they keep busy with the father's business instead of worldly matters, how much we love one another. Do we love one another enough to put away petty bickering and gossip and look to serve one another? And how diligent are we going to be in studying and learning God's truth? I think exactly right, Chris. Very well said. Uh, So I think, again, uh, we've got pretty much unanimous agreement there, Monty. It's up to us. The church universal is going to stand, but the local congregations that we're members of, it's up to us. And we've got to to not compromise, firmly follow the Bible authority, uh, love one another, uh, be enthusiastic, evangelistic, and so forth.
2: And if we'll do those things, there'll be a congregation wherever we are. And if we don't, you know, that congregation may fizzle out and fail and go away. But there will be other people. There will be people enthusiastic that want to serve God that's going to do what he says. And so the church
1: will be here. Yep, exactly right. Well, we're out of time. We've had a good discussion, I think an important discussion. We had a lot of good feedback, uh, more than usual, from our emailers, and we're glad for that. Thank you for participating. Uh, Monty, thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, Dan, uh, thanks for being over there on the board. All right, you have not forgotten your art. Thanks for helping us out uh, tonight. Thank you all for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We encourage you uh, to be back with us next Thursday night, same time, 8 o'clock Central Time. Uh, Lord willing, we'll have another episode of the Virtual Bible Study. Until that time, keep reading and studying your Bible every day. Live by it. You'll never regret it.